than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. The Man of Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 83 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 13 through 16 of Season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman by Filmation. Yes, that's right. We're going to be finishing up Season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman and The Adventures of Superboy with Episodes 7 and 8. But before we get to this week's business, I have some feedback to address from the usual sender, Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on episode number 75, in which I talked about a few Season 1 episodes. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. The Fire Phantom certainly wasn't on the lame side, but I guess they can't all be gems, especially when they're so short. On the other hand, it's always great to see Lex Luthor and The Deadly Dish doesn't disappoint. As for the title, I think maybe The Deadly Ray would have been better, but it seems that whoever was writing the titles was fond of alliteration. Good catch on your part seeing the similarity between this one and The Perils of Superman from the George Reeves series. I wasn't all that taken with the insect raiders myself. I guess it's a decent offering for target audience of boys who often are fascinated with insects. The return of the warlock is a nice callback to the earlier warlock story. As always, I love seeing Superboy and Crypto having fun and adventures together. I know just having Superman and Superboy say up, up, and away, or just away, goes back to the non-visual medium of radio, but I find that hearing Superboy, in particular cry, away, sounds a lot like a kid or a teenager crying, wee, as he's having fun, so I like to accept it more from Superboy than from Superman. I'm looking forward to next week's episode, Crypto the Super Seeing Eye Dog, because I'm pretty sure I remember a comic book story along that same line. Live long and prosper. Dave McElvenny. And as always, I would like to thank Dave for sending in his feedback. You can send in your feedback as well at any time. You don't always have to leave Dave with uh, as the only email writer. I look forward to hearing from all of you. So send in those emails, manofscreen at gmail.com or send an iTunes review. I want to know uh, what you guys think of the job I'm doing out here. There's really nothing in Dave's letter that I'm feeling a burning desire to address. You know, Dave agrees that certain episodes are lamer than others, but, you know, that is true when you're telling uh, a whole bunch of stories at five, six, seven minutes a pop. It's hard to uh, get into uh, the nitty-gritty of uh, storytelling. And for those of you who don't remember the episode in which I covered uh, The Deadly Dish, basically my reference to The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves was, and The Perils of Superman episode was, that Superman had to save his friends on at like five-minute intervals, and this episode seemed to... Uh, present that same kind of challenge and the other stories on that episode were very basic you know what we're seeing with this series is that the episodes will be very basic like i've mentioned before if there were comic books they'd be six seven maybe eight page silver age stories maybe a backup and i think dave and i are both agreeing the superboy segments are showing that he is uh learning on the job the uh, superman segments seem to be much more of a straight up action adventure story so with that being said i'm going to Take a quick break and play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with Luther's Loco Looking Glass, the Neanderthal Caveman Caper, and the Warlock's Revenge. 
It's almost ironic that in this letter I talked about the previous episode, Return of the Warlock. Hang around, folks. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, All right, welcome back, folks. I want to point out to start that the all of the episodes in this segment were broadcast on October 21st, 1967. And we're going to start with Luthor's Logo Looking Glass. And this was written by Oscar Bensall. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Jimmy and Beanie unpack a large mirror sent to Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. It's a mirror. A big mirror. Cheapers, Jimmy. Why would anyone send Mr. Kent a looking glass? I don't know, Beanie. Let's get the crate out of here. I'll take it, Jimmy. At this moment, Superman and his guise as mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent arrives at his office. Suddenly. Jimmy. Mr. Kent, I... Help! I'm trapped in the mirror! I'll try, Jim. I'll try. Please call the police! Call Superman! Sure, Jimmy. Sure. Great Scott, he's gone. Better have an X-ray look at that. Must be a matter transfer device. And it's transported Jimmy to another location. But where? This is a job for Superman. Jimmy finds himself inside a rundown fun park, endangered by Luthor's sharks. Using his signal watch, alerts Superman to his location. Although he tries to trick Superman, Luthor is eventually captured within the Tunnel of Love. Alright, so this episode is going to start off with Beanie and Jimmy opening Clark Kent's mail. Never a good idea. You should never open other people's mail. There's a whole ton of reasons why you shouldn't, other than the fact that it's not yours. You have no business touching it, but... Leaving other people's mail closed is a good rule of thumb. And what are they going to find? They're going to find a magic mirror. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who are the dumbest copy boys of them all? And uh, what do you know? Jimmy is going to get sucked into the mirror. If the beanie leaves, so he kind of vanishes. Clark comes into his office. He finds the mirror. And that's, you know, sent Jimmy somewhere. And you know what? We're going to find out very quickly that this is all a job for Superman. And the man of steel just flies off. And look, it's an amusement park again. Here we are at the amusement park, except this time it's abandoned. So the criminals are not going to be harassing uh active amusement park in this episode. Luthor has chosen an abandoned one. Nice guy. And they're still going, taking great pains to point out that Luthor is the world's greatest criminal scientist. And apparently Luthor was shooting for Clark Kent, but instead he got Jimmy. Aha! My matter transfer mirror has delivered a subject from the Daily Planet. <laughs> Dare I hope it is Clark Kent? Ah, Superman's young friend, Jimmy Olsen. Well, he shall be my instrument of revenge on Superman. Well, you know, Jimmy's not a bad 
close second for Lex Luthor. You know, he didn't catch the big fish, but Jimmy will work just as well. Actually, if not catching Jimmy might actually work better for Lex's purposes because, as we all know, Clark is Superman and catching Clark will really do him no good. So Lex brings in Jimmy and Jimmy tries to talk tough to, uh... Now, Olsen, I will release you from the mirror. That's better, isn't it, Olsen? Luthor, you... 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 Now, now, mustn't lose your temper, son. I warn you, Luthor. I have a Superman alarm watch. See? So what? He'll never find you in this lead-lined room. Besides, in a few minutes, my friend, you shall be shark bait, and I shall have revenge on Superman. Because he's right. The watch signals can't penetrate lead walls. Oh! He wasn't kidding when he said shark bait. Jimmy uses the signal watch. Just in the scene after Superman wonders why Jimmy hadn't used it. It's kind of a funny moment. You know, the, we've talked before about the signal watch being a plot device, basically to get Superman where he needs to go in a short period of time. And this episode is really no different. The signal watch gets Superman from point B, from, from point A to point B very quickly. Now, Jimmy is in this, uh, box that's pretty soon going to be infested by sharks and it's made of lead so obviously superman can't see through it but for some reason luthor postulates that the sound can't break through lead i mean i don't know what logic there is to assume that sound waves can't penetrate lead the only reason superman's x-ray vision was said to not be able to penetrate lead was because lead is a dense material and x-rays can't pierce it but but for some reason there's a hole in the lead box and jimmy kind of accidentally sticks his hand through and sends a signal out to where superman can hear it all while he's trying to avoid a shark shark that's looking to turn him into lunch. Now, Jimmy shouldn't even have needed to stick his hand through the peephole. Just the mere presence of the hole in the lead box should have been enough to get a signal out. So apparently Luthor is keeping an eye on Superman as he flies in. So Superman crashes into the Hall of Mirrors, and after some banter between the two, Superman uses his fist to solve the problem. He's not using much brains here, and Superman just finds nothing more than more mirrors. So we've seen episodes, you know, Mixius Pitalik, the prankster, where Superman has gone to great lengths to solve his problems with the use of his mind and we're seeing that trying to solve his problem with his fists is not really working for him here all that accomplished was leading him to a room with more mirrors and as luthor's breaking glass kind of as superman is breaking glass luthor kind of ends up in the tunnel of love trying to make his getaway now superman is finally thinking while jimmy falls into the water fortunately superman hears him in the tunnel of love and flies jimmy out to the pier Meanwhile, Luthor is sailing into the Tunnel of Love, and we have all kinds of haunted attractions lighting up here. There's a skeleton, a spider, and a few other things. Luthor just laughed at them, you know. His uh, criminal intelligence makes him totally unafraid of these things. So, there's a lot of uh, Halloween-type imagery, and there is a devil represented immediately after Superman kind of appears out of nowhere and apprehends Luthor, calling him... uh, Beelzebub, which for Christians is another name for the devil, which, like I mentioned, was one of the images we saw in the Tunnel of Love. So it was nice seeing the dialogue uh, match the images that were being shown along the river. And now we have a very cruel ending. Wait, Jim, you've got a smudge on your face. I have? Yes. Here, see for yourself. Oh, no, Mr. Kent, I'm not looking into any more mirrors, not for a long time. I wonder why. As Clark hands Jimmy a mirror, with which to see a smudge on his face. Jimmy is not amused by it. He has had his fill of mirrors in this episode. And, you know, <laughs> these endings just get crueler and crueler on Superman's part. There's really nothing good to say about the things Superman and Clark does to his friends. Uh, 
just to get a cheap laugh out of uh, the kids watching the show. Now let's move on to The Neanderthal Caveman Caper. This was written by Oscar Bensall. Quirks find a caveman thawing out. A giant Neanderthal man? Incredible! He must have been frozen in there for eons. Holy mackerel, he... He's alive! Amazing. The deep freeze has kept him in a state of suspended animation. That's spooky. Let's get out of here, Crane. No, 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 wait. This gives me a great idea. They trick him into wanting to fight Superboy, and then use the caveman to keep Superboy busy, while they steal an experimental flying mole. Alright, so here we are, starting off with a bunch of criminals watching a Neanderthal very quickly thaw out. For someone who's been frozen for eons, he is defrosting very quickly. Must be really hot in what appears to be the desert, and global warming is clearly moving very fast in this episode. Now this head criminal here, he's the guy in the front with a black goatee if you're watching these episodes. He's thinking and he has a great idea. Oh, and uh, by the way, while this guy is thinking of what to do, the Neanderthal wakes up. It didn't, you know, freeze to death. It just went into suspended animation and is ready to embark on its new life. Wasn't that 90s movie Encino Man based on this premise? I wouldn't know. I couldn't bear myself to sit through it. But here we are a few days later. What appears to be Superboy is fighting the Neanderthal. And I'll be honest, I have very few memories of these episodes. This is why my coverage of them is kind of basic. Aside from the fact that there's not really a lot of meat on the bones to these things. I don't have great many memories of these episodes when I was a kid. I could have just as easily not seen any of these. I don't know if these were on TV at the time when I was growing up, but... I really have no memory, so it's like I'm watching all of these for the first time. So when I saw Superboy fighting the Neanderthal, I thought Superboy was fighting the Neanderthal. Looked more like he's playing with it, but he was doing a pretty good job beating it up, you know, whacking it with clubs and doing all kinds of mean stuff to it. Anyway, apparently this guy isn't Superboy, and, it, and it's Alfie, one of the gang members. Apparently he's dressed as Superboy so that the monster attacks Superboy when he sees them. You know, I figured that out before the henchman did, so he's clearly not too bright. So now our criminals are attacking the arsenal, and Superboy finds the Neanderthal and he attacks. Oh, by the way, the uh, shot of Crypto and Superboy flying is the same image as the one I use on the cover on the Facebook page and the Two True Freaks page, though. Whenever you look at uh, the cover of my episode and you see super on the bottom half Superboy and and Crypto Flying, actually, I use just Superboy, but the uh, the shot of Superboy Flying is the one from this episode. Moving on from that, so Crypto and Superboy fight the Neanderthal. Superboy, he's doing everything he can not to catch the creature, but the Raiders are going after the Flying Mole, which is some kind of flying military machine with a drill at the end of it. And, you know, I don't know what the military is going to do with this device, and I'm not sure what these guys are going to do with it either, but Superboy is more focused on not hurting the Neanderthal, which is good, but more importantly, Superboy has to fly over that mole, which just took out a silo, and I am, and I imagine as it flies from right to left on your screen that it's going to take something out that's rather important. So, of course, these guys aren't expert pilots, but, you know, they do know how to fly it, much like the similarly drawn gang in the great space race episode seem to have no trouble flying an alien ship these guys have no trouble flying the latest uh, military machine but they are going having a little trouble they go down down and underground and <laughs> superboy has crypto bored down the dog is not really doing much boring he's just kind of following the hole that the mole is making and our head criminal his name is crane he's having a good time being evil and i like that you know so much in modern storytelling today wants us to sympathize with the villain wants us to understand why he's doing what he's doing Sometimes I just enjoy watching an evil man be evil, and there's something to be said for that. So Apparently Crane went right into Superboy's path, who, once the mole comes up out of the ground, Superboy kind of punches it and sets it off course, and now it's bearing down on the caveman. But Superboy catches it before it could drill a very large hole in the caveman's brain, which would definitely not be good for 
a Saturday morning cartoon. Now, you don't want to be drilling any uh, holes in the heads of Neanderthals while the hor- while the children watch. It will just horrify them. And, you know, some of these stories are horrific enough just from a sheer quality standpoint that we don't need any horrific images. Now, for our ending, uh, the caveman likes both Crypto and Superboy. And- and so is the flying mole. Well, I'm glad to see he likes you at least, Crypto. Looks like we're friends too, since I saved his life. Let's go, friend. We'll take you to a nice, safe place where our scientists can study you and, and you can live the rest of your life in comfort. Up, up, and away! Superboy is going to send him to a nice, safe place to be studied and, you know, poked and prodded by scientists for the rest of his natural life. So, but the Neanderthal is quite happy about this for some reason, you know. Not a bad episode. Not much to it. It's a chase and a fight and then some more chasing, but where else can you expect in five minutes? Let me tell you something you can expect. The Superman episode, The Warlock's Revenge, and this was written by Oscar Bensal as well. The Warlock's sister uses a magic ruby on a broom to free him. I thought you'd never get me out of there. Don't be miserable, my dear brother. I had to... Be alarmed! Quick! Give me your broom! My broom? Yes! I want your magic ruby to get revenge on Superman. Oh, no! I don't want him to destroy my ruby like he twice destroyed yours. Don't worry, he won't. But... He takes the ruby and goes to start a campaign of endangering Lois Lane before Superman uses his one of his magical creations against him. My first note is, is that this shows writers need to come up with more original names for episodes featuring the Warlock. We've already had Return of the Warlock, and now we have the Warlock's Revenge. You know, the Warlock is always seeking revenge. He's always returning, and he's always seeking revenge. This has to be his fourth uh, appearance, so I'm not necessarily sure what he's getting revenge for. Probably his first two defeats at the very least. The third defeat, as I recall, was a member of Ape. But this is the third time we're seeing the Warlock as a singular threat to Superman, and I don't recall, you know, I don't, and I guess I could call on Dave McElvenny and Bob Fisher to help me out with this, but I do not recall at any point if the character of the Warlock appeared in the comics. I could be wrong, but this might be a character that was created just for the show. If, it, if he is, he'd be one of the only villains that I can think of. New villains that made repeat appearances. So apparently the warlock has a sister, and she looks like a witch with a broomstick, you know, like you would expect. She's your prototypical witch, black pointy hat, black robe, and a broomstick. And as soon as she breaks her brother out of jail, who rather humorously slides down a pink fireman's pole made of light, that was a rather humorous image, the warlock acts rather selfishly and basically wants her ruby so he can get revenge on Superman. No, thank you, sis, for helping me get out of jail. No, way to go, man. How you doing, sister? Nope. Not even a thank you for breaking me out. Give me your ruby so I could get my revenge on Superman. To steal a line from Batman Forever, the warlock has a real gratitude problem. And not only does he want the ruby, he complains that she's late, you know. And she's understandably not agreeable to this idea in the slightest. He's already destroyed at least two rubies fighting Superman and doesn't really want to lose her own. You know, as she figures he's going to get her ruby destroyed like he got the previous ones destroyed. A valid concern, to be sure. Now, once the cop shows up, he grabs the broom and they disappear and the two cops kind of run into each other, which kind of reminded me of the old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game where <clears throat> you'd have to fight Bebop and Rocksteady 
together. You'd fought them individually during the game, but but basically when you fight them together, you have to kind of get them to charge each other and collide. That's what this image of the two police officers running headlong into each other kind of reminded me of. So, <clears throat> moving on from that, the warlock spots the Daily Planet, and he must have gotten his sister's ruby by now because the Daily Planet is shaking and swaying, and the warlock is outside the Daily Planet with a wand with a ruby on it. So, there's no mention of where that ruby comes from, but we are meant to assume that he got it from his sister. Now, the building is shaking. Clark is very observant to note that something fishy is happening. Oh, and another fun note. Clark wears white socks with his blue suit and black shoes. Seems like a real fashion faux pas there. You always want to wear black dress socks. Just saying. But no matter what color socks Clark is wearing, he, he fixes the Daily Planet building basically by putting it back where it belongs. So it's kind of kind of just swaying, and he kind of just puts it back in place on its foundation, and the building starts stops rocking. Now, the warlock spots Superman, and Superman sees him and wonders how he got out of jail. You know, it's kind of a pointless question at some at this point. Guess what? Superman, they're out of jail, and apparently there are two warlocks that we need to worry about. Just not in this episode. The warlock's sister basically disappears after the opening sequence. I mean, it would be interesting if Superman had to face some kind of warlock double threat, but he doesn't. So meanwhile, the warlock is stalking Lois, who is on the elevated train. This could really be the end of the line for Miss Lois Lane. <laughs> Now, Miss Lane, get set for the ride of your life! Good grief! <laughs> now, loop the loop! Hang on, lady! Superman not to play games with the warlock. He tilts the train track, sending Lois to the quote-unquote end of the line. The L-Train was definitely not designed for a loop-de-loop. And now Superman will show his skill with alliteration as he talks about the warlock's tricks with tracks. But he gets out ahead of the train and fixes the tracks. And, you know, it's nice to see the warlock tell us what he's going to do as he turns the stairs into a slide. You know, this is after Superman saves it from the train. Kind of sending Lois on her bottom down the stairs and into traffic. And Superman stops an incoming truck. And when we're showing the driver, he's rubbing his head. We can only imagine his head hit the glass, resulting in a concussion. Ouch. Oh, Superman. What? What's going on here? What's causing... It's the warlock, Miss Lane. You go about your business. I'll go look for that fiend. So Superman is looking a little different in this episode. The S is not as smoothly drawn as it's been in previous episodes. Must be using some inexperienced art artists the warlock however looks the same but that s in this episode has given the animators some trouble and now the, the warlock is up to his old tricks of bringing billboards to life this time it's an elephant that's spitting fire from its trunk at lois and she seems to be able to guard it herself with her briefcase i'm not sure how the briefcase is not catching on fire while she's doing this but it's not and uh, superman will grab the elephant's trunk and shoots fire at the warlock and that's the broom of fire. Ironically, this causes the warlock to call Superman for help. And when he's, when he's saved, all he earns is a trip back to the big house. Kind of stinks for him, but, you know, oh, wow, the them, them's the breaks for the villains. But if you notice, he didn't break the ruby this time. So maybe the wand's just, just going to go into a police lockup. So now we have an ending here of where Clark is going to take Lois to a movie. Come on, Lois, I'll take you to a movie. After that horrible experience, you could use some relaxation. Why, how thoughtful of you, Clark. What movie are we going to see? It's a picture called The Flame-Throwing Fiend. Oh, you. You. <laughs> She's what I'd call a rather pretty flame-throwing fiend. And apparently it's called The Flamethrower Fiend. And she throws a cigarette lighter at him, causing Clark to pun. I think this is the episode that a letter writer wrote in about it, you know, in a previous episode, where Lois basically threw 
fire at Clark. It's not lit, so that's okay. You know, not a bad episode. I have a big complaint, though, about the warlock sister. She's just a plot device to get him out of jail. She vanishes after that, and we can only assume that the warlock stole the ruby, but I guess her usefulness has been served. I think it would have been far more interesting to see Superman have to face that double threat from both the warlock and his sister, but no dice. So, I'm going to take a quick break, I'm going to play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the Halia of the Himalayas, the Terrible Trio, and Luthor's Fatal Fireworks. Hang around, folks. come in all shapes and sizes coming soon from the fire and water podcast network it's digest cast a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s hosted by the fire and water podcast team of robin shag and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests it's digest cast because big things come in small packages coming soon to the fire and water podcast network All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment were broadcast on October 28th, 1967, and we're going to start with the Halia of the Himalayas. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A plane crash awakens a frozen creature known as the Halia, which has been asleep on the ice within the Himalayas for hundreds of years. Angry at being awakened, the creature goes on a rampage until Superman puts him back under layers of snow. So we have another frozen creature, you know, which is a theme that we saw in in the episode in the first segment where the Neanderthal was defrosted in the Superboy segment. Now we're going to have a frozen snow monster for them, for lack of a better term. We start in with a red plane that crashes into a mountain and causes an avalanche. In addition to, I imagine, killing everyone on the plane, it awakens the Halia of the Himalayas, which basically looks like a white gorilla that likes to throw rocks. And the first thing it does is throw a giant boulder at, at an airplane that's passing by. Of course, Clark happens to be in India when all this is happening, and uh, he's about to visit the Taj Mahal when the report of what's going on in the mountains comes over the radio. That's when Clark spots a rock and changes into Superman and flies off, saving a what appears to be a meteor from ruining the Taj Mahal. So Superman discovers that it's not a meteor and says it must have come hundreds of miles. Superman! This is no meteor. It's an ordinary Earth rock. But where did it come from? Must have been launched by a giant... Catapult! Impossible. That rock traveled hundreds of miles. I'd better locate the source. Up! Up! And away! Superman goes off to search. Meanwhile, the monster is wrecking what looks like a Chinese village, or Nepal, um, some kind of Asian settlement. I'm not sure which country it's in. The episode does not specify. Either way, it throws a building at a plane, and I love Superman's line about a flying house. Great Scott! That's a house heading northwest toward the desert. But first, I must rescue the passenger plane. Away! Of course, there are more immediate concerns. The Superman has to catch the flying house before it gets to Oz. But the house, of course, is going to land in the middle of an oil field. I mean, where else would it land? Superman manages to catch it and save everyone before he learns about the creature. And I'm not sure if this is a kid or a grown man, but it's telling him the myth about the Halia, and this is where we're going to be educated as well. Superman! The Halia did this! The Halia? What is that? It is the ice monster of the mountains who sleeps under the ice. If you wake him, he becomes very angry. So that's it. Well, I guess I'll have to put that Halya back to sleep. Hang on, lad. Your house is going home. And he gets woken up and he's very angry. But before Superman can take care of the Halya, he must bring the house 
home. Because you can't just leave it there in the middle of the oil field that might catch fire or something like that. Wouldn't be very good for the people who live in that house. Meanwhile, in Pakistan, the Halia is ruining a, uh, the wedding of the Maharaja. So the Halia sees Superman and tosses an elephant at him. The things this creature uses as weapons. Just hysterical. Basically, the Maharaja wants Superman to uh, destroy the monster, and he just, but Superman just wants to put it back to bed. You know, Superman is not all about the extreme solutions to his problems. He wants to solve it without hurting any the monster if he can. Here you are, safe and sound. We shall be ever grateful, Superman. Now you must destroy the Halya. No, no, I don't want to harm it. I'll just put it back to sleep. But the uh, Halya is not cooperating, and it will not go quietly. Superman coaxes it to following it back to the mountains, and Superman you know, says things my kids would say, such as, last one up the mountain is a rotten egg, or playing follow the leader. These are all things I've had to do with my daughter at one point or another. Superman, meanwhile, lures the Halia onto a rope bridge, collapses it, and the creature falls back into the snow. Now Superman is going to create an avalanche by rolling down the hill. Looks like fun for a kid, you know. Kids love to uh, roll down hills, especially when they're not supposed to. But Superman just kind of does some summers, does a kind of a tumble and becomes a snowball and creates a giant avalanche. And that seems to solve the problem. The uh, snow monster is going to get cold and go back to bed, presumably. And uh, back in Metropolis, we have our ending and Perry is amazed about the things that the Halia was throwing. You say the Halia threw a rock and a house and they even threw an elephant? Amazing, Kent, amazing. Oh, that's nothing, Chief. You should have seen him when he threw a tantrum. Huh? Hardy, har, har. Not bad. And this actually had more to it than some of the previous episodes. You got a little bit of myth building. I know nothing about the myth of the Halia, if there is such a thing. But, you know, like I said, I'm not finding anything memorable about these episodes. They aren't real good and they aren't real bad. They just, they exist. They kind of are. And then we're going to go on to what might be the most memorable Superboy episode of the series, The Terrible Trio. This is written by Oscar Benso. Superboy teaches three school bullies a hard lesson by granting them their greatest ambition with a twist that makes them realize the error of their ways. Being that this is Superboy, we start on the schoolyard when a bunch of bullies are harassing this kid. They pick on someone who wears glasses, so of course Lana wants Clark to go take care of business. Bertie, you bumped me. Hey, Bertie, ain't you ever gonna stop? <laughs> oh, there are those three bullies, Steve, Roy, and Vince, at it again. They're always picking on somebody who wears glasses. Now you go right over and stop them, Clark Kent. Who, me? That's a job for Superboy. Since he's not around, I'll have to do it myself. Time for Superboy to take a hand. Fat chance. He becomes Superboy and takes care of the bullies in that way. And the bullies can you know, defend themselves. This is uh, the classic uh, thing that kids will use in this kind of situation, both small kids and older kids. They were just clowning. And I can count, I don't have enough appendages, limbs, anything, to count how many times I've caught one of my kids doing something. And they something they shouldn't supposed to do that could possibly hurt one of the others and say, just playing, which does not make whatever was being done that could possibly hurt another child all right. Just playing does not excuse these things. Doesn't excuse my kids, and it doesn't excuse these guys. So Superboy's going to teach these three boys a lesson, and they had an odd, odd ambition, and Superboy's going to help them out. Superboy sends the first bully onto a space rocket, making him the world's first teenage astronaut. But apparently Superboy didn't think to put the, the boy into the ship. He's kind of on the outside, so he doesn't want to suffocate. You're first, Steve. What'll it be? 
I want to be a big shot. A big shot, eh? That's easy. See that capsule? We're going for a ride on it. Suits me. Come on, they're about to launch it. Just think, Steve. In a few moments, you'll be the first teenage astronaut in outer space. This ought to make you the world's biggest big shot, right? No, no, Superboy. I don't really want to be a big shot. Now you're getting smart, pal. Let's go home. So he no longer wants to be a big shot. And he goes home. Roy, meanwhile, wants to rule a kingdom. And Superboy gives him a kingdom, taking him off planet and making him king of the vegetable people. You're next, Roy. What's your ambition? Me? I, I want to be the ruler of a kingdom. Very well, sire. Your kingdom awaits you. What is this place? This is the planet Verdura. And you are king of all you survey. But where are my subjects? Here they come. Holy cow! Cucumber, man! Tomato girls! Corn creatures! Well, why are they all marching toward me? They're your subjects. The vegetable people of the planet Verdura. They came to serve you. Good luck, King Roy. Oh, no. No, Superboy. Don't leave me here with them. These vegetable creatures. Take me back to Earth where I can live among humans. Please? You wise me up fast. Roy, tough guys have to learn the hard way. There's all kinds of things coming at him. There's celery, there's broccoli, there's tomatoes. They're all coming out to, to worship Roy. If his last name was Rogers, this could have been he could have been ruler of the Roy Rogers Fixin' Bar. But Roy kind of wilted this idea because he has no idea what to do about the adulation and uh, the subjects uh, needing him to, I guess, presumably survive. So he clearly does not want to learn um, live among the vegetables. So Roy learned the hard way. Steve has learned his lesson. Steve was the bully who wanted to be the big shot, and uh, Superboy was going to make him the world's first teenage astronaut, but they both learned their lesson. But Vince, you know, he still wants to be the toughest guy in the world, and Vince won't let go of the tough guy bit, so Superboy is going to take Vince to the land of horrors. Wow, that really happened, Steve? It's fate, so if you take my advice, you'll quit while you're ahead. What, quit wanting to be the toughest guy in the world? Is that really your ambition, Vince? Sure. I told him to quit while he's ahead. What do you say, Roy? I say Superboy had to teach us the hard way. So why don't you be one of the smartest guys in the world and forget the tough guy bit? Look, Vince, if you still want to be the toughest... Yeah, I do. Okay, tough guy, put this blindfold on for a visit to the land of horrors. You're on your own now. Up and away! This place doesn't scare me. Hey, what's that? Welcome to the land of horrors. <laughs> uh, a talking skull. Oh, I gotta get out of here. Oh no! But the, the skull is it's shaking into a, a shape-a-tooth tiger. Oh no! Right here, Ben. I never left you. 
Please, Superboy, let's get out of here. I'm scared. I guess I'm not so tough after all. That's right, Vince. Scared, but honest. Now it's uh, Vince's turn to surrender. Now Vince just wants to go home when he realizes he's not as tough as he thought he was. And then, <clears throat> that's kind of a jokes on you moment. Superboy told Vince they're at the amusement park. Again with the amusement park in this show. And now for our ending, the uh, terrible trio has been reformed. Clark, do you see what I see? Has Superboy really reformed that terrible trio? You'd better believe it, Lana. And you know what? This was a good episode for kids. It teaches a lesson about bullying and it shows that the... Eight age-old adage that every bully is afraid of something. You know, it's probably not a good idea to out-bully the bully, at least according to schools today. I may have different ideas, but Superboy's approach to anti-bullying in this episode was to show these guys that what they believe or their ambitions or what they want are not necessarily as great as they thought they would be. So it's kind of an interesting lesson for Superboy to teach these guys. I'm not necessarily sure it's going to make them stop bullying, but for some reason, they seem to be reformed. <clears throat> the key one was, was Vince, the last guy, showing when he realized that, you know, as tough as he was, that he's still a scared little boy. That might have a profound impact on the kid, but I'm not sure what the other two lessons were really meant to convey, but the third one, definitely, I understand that. I mean, especially as far as Roy goes, what kid wants to, whose lifelong ambition is it to rule a kingdom? Not mine. Now I don't think that was something that ever dawned on me. I, didn't, I never thought I'd instantly become royalty. I'm not sure why Roy thought that would happen for him, but no, neither here nor there. But kids, it's never right to bully someone for any reason. It doesn't make you tough. And it's probably the, king, that's the kind of thing that will cost you friends and possibly loved ones down the line. And that's not necessarily a lesson that only kids need to learn. Adults could probably benefit from that lesson as well. Alright, we're going to finish this episode off with Luthor's Fatal Fireworks. And this was written by Oscar Bensall. Luthor has Jimmy Olsen kidnapped and placed in a balloon. He then shoots fireworks at the balloon to attract Superman who he plans to kill with a kryptonite-laden fireworks. So now Clark Kent and Jimmy are in Hollywood interviewing movie stars. I mean, that's a great thing to do while you're in Hollywood. You interview the movie stars. Meanwhile, Jimmy is surfing. Now here's Luthor in a submarine. Apparently this is Luthor's greatest invention, a submarine. Hmm. That's the Olsen kid, all right. Let's grab him, Blinky. <laughs> I'll take this Superman's signal once. Okay, we'll go with it. And for the second time in as many weeks, Jimmy is abducted by Luthor. So Luthor is going to draw Superman out to the West Coast by creating a disaster. If he only knew, Superman was already on the West Coast. It's kind of funny. And you know and you know how we know Clark is relaxed? He's not wearing a tie. Clark is wearing his entire, you know, Clark Kent uniform, the blue suit and the white shirt. Just no tie. So now we know that he is chilling out on the West Coast. So, Clark sees the missile, changes to Superman, and rides the missile into the ocean. Kind of Kirk, Kirk Allen style. You know, he mounts the missile and diverts it, of course, much like Kirk Allen did in the Adam Man vs. Superman serial. So now Luthor has tied up Jimmy and is sending him up, up, and up, up, and away in a beautiful balloon. Now for step two. You're mad, Luthor! Not mad, Sonny. Brilliant. Have a dice trip. That should make an interesting target, eh, Blinky? Fire the rocket. Now! And then Luthor fires some fireworks at the balloon, and Jimmy is ducking. He's pretty sure that Luthor's antics are going to make this balloon pop. Oh, by the way, the signal watch that played such an important role in the uh, previous Luthor episode was taken from Jimmy immediately. Luthor is going to use Jimmy's signal watch to his advantage in this episode. So Luthor uses the watch to call Superman. Apparently he has 
are kryptonite fireworks. You know, hence the episode's name, Luthor's Fatal Fireworks. So Clark hears the watch and changes in Superman, and the, as the henchman spots Superman, Luthor fires the kryptonite rocket, and instead of just falling out of the sky immediately, Superman just kind of hovers there and comments on how his strength is fading before trying to take the balloon to safety. Now, instead of bringing Jimmy to the ground, Superman kind of sends Jimmy away, you know, kind of gives a little karate chop to the rope, and the balloon floats away. So as Jimmy uh, flies off, uh, Superman is hit by another rocket and uh, falls out of the sky and, is, and appears to be unconscious on the beach. And Luthor is, uh, you know, kind of celebrating his victory, probably a little prematurely, but he celebrates it nonetheless. You've done it, Luthor! Yes, I have finally done it. I have destroyed Superman! But Superman isn't completely licked here. He's using his heat vision to set off the other fireworks, and Luthor and his henchmen kind of away into the submarine. But, you know, in kind of a last measure of revenge or bitterness, one of the two, Luthor fires a missile at the balloon, and Superman regains enough of his strength to fly after it. It hits the balloon, it catches the fire, and Superman kind of brings the basket with Jimmy to the ground. Fortunately, he untied Jimmy before he left. And a funny scene here, this Navy officer just kind of come needs help finding the mini-sub, but Superman kind of grabs it and uh, turns it over, kind of drops Luther and his henchmen onto the pier. You know, like I mentioned, Superman had kind of left Jimmy on the pier in the balloon basket and kind of just shows up very nonchalantly with a submarine uh, over his head. Wait here. Up. Up. Right away. Where'd Superman go? He'll be right back, sir. He, uh... Well, we need his help to find that mini-sub. The fiends you want are inside. Take them. Great work, Superman. Now I'd like to invite both of you to see a fireworks display we've arranged for the base personnel. Gee, thanks, Commander, but I'd rather not. Uh, yes, you see, sir, we've had enough of that for now. So, this was an interesting episode. Seeing Luthor setting off fireworks with Kryptonite is always fun. He's always got a plan, and I enjoy seeing that. Next time, we're going to have a little bit of an interlude as we take a look at three Justice League of America shorts that were aired during Season 2. The Justice League of America shorts featured all featured Superman, so that's why they kind of fit into the uh, purview of the Man of Screen podcast. So next week, I'll be covering Between Two Armies, Target Earth, and Bad Day on Black Mountain, all Justice League of America episodes. And I'll talk a little bit more about Justice League of America next week. Until then, you can send me an email at manascreen at gmail.com. You can leave a message over at the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And uh, if you don't mind, why don't you send a review on iTunes? That'll help other people find the show. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. 
Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.